this is Jamie. And this is Heather. And welcome to Using Our Inside Voice, a podcast where we awaken to the extraordinary meaning of everyday mundane life by passing it through a particle collider of differing and different perspectives. Today we're using our inside voice to talk about how our spiritual journey together began. Yay! No, this is a cool conversation. I dig it because we've we've done so so let me just explain a little bit to the folks out there. So you guys are getting recordings at the moment quite a ways out from when we originally recorded them, like a couple weeks at least in between. Um, we had to work out editing and, and all that fun stuff, which which I've been doing most of that part. So so thank you for hanging in there with us. We did record something previously that was kind of skirted around this conversation a little bit. I, I, I don't know that we'll ever actually post that recording and unless I do some sort of fun splicing and dicing with some other things, because th- that was before we had microphones figured out and recording figured out and the sound was a little. So um, yeah, it would be cool to kind of like hop back in it because we have, I don't know. I think we have an interesting history together. Like our, our friendship started in an interesting way. And the way we kind of dove into our spiritual journey together is kind of interesting. So um, we met, was it 2002 or 2001? You know, I don't time. I don't know. I'll say 2000. I think it was. No, it's 2001. 2001. Because my mom died in 2002. Yeah. So it was 2001. We were both working at Disney together as as designers slash decorators. Anyways, um, so we started, I think, it's always such an interesting mix when you get creative people together because either one of two things happen. Either you find really kindred spirits that you can connect with and share ideas with, or you find people that will absolutely rub you the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And I think I think I was probably a little more cautious than you were in the beginning on like getting close to people there, but um we had music in common and just from like basic conversation like, you know, film and things that we liked about, you know, what we were doing at the time and I think we were pretty much on the same page and, and like the same stuff. So I think we fell into a, a fairly quick friendship, but I don't think it really, I don't think it really like gotten, you know, kind of like went past that work relationship until, until right around the time when your mom passed away. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I remember us hanging out maybe a few times outside of work before then, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, we, we started hanging out more after that like outside of work. And the big thing that I always seem to remember about that, which definitely is, I I would call like the, the start of our spiritual talks together. We were out around Christmas time shopping for our own selves to do our own decorating. And we were looking at lights Mm -hmm. and this was around the time when it was getting more difficult to find incandescent Christmas lights, which we both love. Yeah. And we were at Big Lots. And we were staring at the Christmas lights at Big Lots and trying to like figure out like how much we needed. And I do not remember this. 
I know you never do. You never remember this, but it is so clear in my mind. And we're standing there and we're talking and we've been talking for a while. And I think this was probably like maybe the, the fourth or fifth stop on our like places of places to look at that day. And I had said something and I remember there was kind of like a moment of silence. And then you turned and you looked at me and you said, you really have to stop that. I do remember saying that to you on more than one occasion. Mm -hmm. I I see that. I'm batting, Heather Heatherson. You turkey. Um, You can't see what's happening on on the little screens, but we can see each other because we're doing a Zoom call while we're doing this. This is how this works. And I can see her little eyes fluttering over there on the other side, turkey. Anyways. You said you really have to stop that. And it like stopped me in my tracks for a second. And I'm like, huh? Like, <laughs> what did I do? And you're like, you sound like my mom. I do remember that. And I'm like, wow. And at first I was like, oh, shit. Well, I didn't mean to upset her because this was like still fairly recently after mom passed. And I kind of realized in that moment that like there are things that have been coming out of my mouth that were not me, like not normal things that I would say. I didn't really question it a whole lot because this is something that, uh, that I've been doing my whole life and just not always been super aware of when it was happening because it's become normal to me. So we kind of realized that I had been channeling her mom, which was very interesting Mm -hmm. because although we met, your mom was very ill when we first met and we were first hanging out. So I never actually got to meet your mom in person, but yeah, I feel like she's a second mama to me because I know her so well in spirit. So it's kind of like, you know, when I refer to your mom, I just call her mom because it's, she's in my head (laughs) a lot. Like not as much as, as she used to be, not as much as around that time, Mm -hmm. but but, you know, she still definitely pops in. She pops in when we get together and it's something fun that she would have wanted to be in on or like been in on the conversation and I can hear her. But um, I think that was that was kind of the beginning of the, OK, well, let's let's find out, like, where do we both sit <laughs> in this? Like, is this going to be? an uncomfortable thing for you? Is it going to be a thing that we can approach and talk about? Like I didn't know right away. So, but I thought that that was, that was pretty much the, like the jumping off point besides just like we were both goth kids and we liked darker things and like the early Disney ghost movies and we were, you know, Halloween people, you know, it's like, you kind of get a feel when it's like, okay, like, they're going to be, they're going to be cool with this line of conversation. But once you get into like, um, hi, I'm sorry, but I'm channeling your dead mother. That, (laughs) that, that, that's, that's a different conversation. (laughs) Well, before she died, my mom and I had a conversation and I said, you as soon as you get over there, you find a psychic and you start giving me messages. <laughs> and she's like, I don't know if I can, but I'll do my best. I'm like, you you do it. You do it. And um, <laughs> the problem was, is that I wasn't expecting the psychic for her to find to be you. <laughs> I was like thinking TV psychic. I was like 
you know, <laughs> I better be approached by Lisa or James or whoever the fuck, and you better give me a code. Damn it. <laughs> and her code was she started laughing through Jamie and Jamie sounded exactly like her. And it was the creepiest fucking thing. I was just like, please stop. I I remember being on Ball Road just outside the park going down that big hill and looking out the window and listening to you and go, and seriously, you're laughing just like my mom. Like how? How? I'm like, did you meet my mom? Because like I couldn't. I don't know. I guess I had brain fog. I couldn't remember. I was like, did you meet her? And she's like, no. And I'm like, then what the fuck are you laughing like her? It's driving me crazy. Like I keep on thinking she's in the car. And that's that's when I remember. And it might have been the same day. It might have been a continued conversation. I don't know. But yeah. I was like, knock it off. You're making me crazy. And then when I realized, <laughs> oh, wait, maybe she's channeling her. And she realized, oh, wait, maybe I'm channeling her. Then it became, huh. All right, well, let's play with this. Mm -hmm. You know, I did tell her to find a medium. <laughs> I just didn't expect it to be a normal friend person. <laughs> well, you know, and maybe that's well. I think I think she probably understood at that point that that we were going to be around each other, mm -hmm. which may have possibly even been her doing. And you know, I I think. Maybe maybe it was the fact that I hadn't met her that that it would make you kind of stop in your tracks and go, wow, she hadn't even been around her. So mm -hmm. like this isn't this isn't just mimicking. This is this is actually coming through her. And it was it, it was weird because that was the when I when I actually sat with it, I think it was the first time that I realized that I was like this wasn't just receiving of messages because that I had done a lot of times you know that I had I had interpreted messages from other family members that had passed away my my grandmothers you know that I was used to um you know getting stuff in my in my dream time from them or you know being out somewhere and and hearing them and you know absorbing that but this was the first time that I think I had really come to grips with the fact that I was allowing this to come through me just completely unconsciously at first. Mm -hmm. And then I started to realize the little cues and things that would happen when she was there. And I think that was probably um, a difficult thing at first too, because I hadn't really paid attention to like what it felt like and especially because I didn't know your mom before, I I didn't have any things like, you know, if, if it was my grandmother talking to me, I knew it was my grandma. I had a familiarity with her. I, I knew, you know, I knew all of her isms. So sure. that I could pick out, but I didn't know your mom's isms. So right. that was hard to pick out. <laughs> you not said, please stop. <laughs> please stop being my mom. Um, and I'm glad eventually you didn't stop me because, you know, that, that definitely helped me to develop that portion of me. So it was a, it was a really nice opportunity to do that. And, and I, I enjoy the shit out of your mom. Your mom is mm -hmm. hilarious. 
She mm. is a super fun lady. And mm. it really made me sad that I didn't have a relationship with her while she was still living. Cause I'm like, man, we could have had really good conversations while you mm-hmm. were still alive. Yeah. And she could have, uh, bossed me around about how I use Caruso rollers <laughs> in real life instead yeah. of whenever I'm trying to do my hair. Mm-hmm. That was, that's, that's always fun. Yeah. I still enjoy, I still enjoy that because that's practically every time. I use those rollers. <laughs> if I'm not putting so for for those of you who do not know, um, Caruso rollers were these things that came became popular mostly in the film industry first because it was I, I believe it was someone who did hair and film that started it. Right? Was Caruso a? I think no, I he was a, a hair guy for for the industry first. Hmm. But <clears throat> these particular rollers were fantastic for um, for getting hair to curl quickly and to hold a set, like a set that would normally yeah, was take like, like overnight with all the things. It was the next best thing to a wet set because it used steam mm-hmm. uh, yeah. to set the hair. So you were using heat and steam, which opens up the hair cuticle. And then, of course, that's how you reform when it when it dries, that's how it reforms the hair cuticle bond and keeps the curl. So um, she got me Caruso rollers really early on, but I had super, well, did I have super long hair? I don't know, but she got them for me really early on, but I, I didn't use them as much as you did. Um, I think I was like nine. That young, when, really? Yeah. I was like, as soon as they, they came on infomercials, mm-hmm. we bought them because my, hair was long it was very tangly and and because i had a lot of natural curl Mm. so it was hard to get through but like the minute you'd comb through my hair i was a frizz ball so then you'd so then you'd have to go back and do like hours of curling iron and hairspray the crap out of it and then you know the minute any humidity hit my hair like all the curl would fall out and then it was just a big old frizz ball again and mm. we got sick of doing that <laughs> and so the caruso rollers were a lifesaver and i've used them ever since and now mm-hmm. the set that i have the is is one of the last sets that your mom used and i have all of the rollers from that set the red set and every the the caruso yeah that's where my caruso rollers went yeah you gave them to me weirdo i did not remember i've been looking for them ever since going like where is that steaming unit i'm really congested i could use some steam and i'm like i know i had i wouldn't have thrown it out well it lives with you no that makes sense okay no you gave it to me when you when you first did the big clean out under the bathroom sink yeah, you yeah. like here. I don't those need were, this. Those were mine. I, you know, I just didn't want to curl my hair anymore. It wasn't me. It was too soft and flowy. I needed something too fluffy, hardcore. So yeah. <laughs> I so I have those. Okay, cool. I can and stop looking for them. You can stop looking for them. Nice. And if if you need them back, let me know. But every time I use them, it's hilarious because the part of their maintenance of what you should do mm-hmm. in order to keep these things 
in good order because they have little the little styro type foamy deals like other you know wet rollers when you use them after you've unrolled them because they compress you're supposed to put them back on the steamer for a couple of seconds and let them fluff back up and then put them away and i had a bad habit of just doing it and then throwing them in the sink and throwing them back in the bag and refluffing them before I'd use them the next time. And every time I went to do that, your mom would be like on my ass. <laughs> you know, better you than, better you than me. <laughs> you really need to put those back on the, on the machine before you put them away <laughs> because they're going to get all corroded and fall apart. And then you're just going to have <laughs> a big bag full of pink dust. It's true. So if she is like not wrong. Again, you should yep. really do that now. And if I kind of like snubbed her and like was like, yeah, 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 cool. Thanks. I'll think about that. Like she'd keep nudging. Um, I really think you, you should. You mm -hmm. should really do that. Mm -hmm. They're going to be crappy if you don't put them back on the stand. Oh my God. Okay. I'll do it. I'll do it. Like every time she gets me and I'm like, Oh my God, <laughs> she is going to hound me and nag me. But it was never in a like, like brow beating. It was just like, I swear, like she's sitting on my shoulder going, you know, and it's like, Oh my God. Okay, fine. It's just easier to go with it. It is just easier to go with it. And she's pretty much like that kind of insistent on pretty much everything. Mm -hmm. like doesn't necessarily want to beat you up about it, but kind of does want to beat you up about it a little bit, <laughs> but in a nice way. I mean, it's in funny nice to way. hear. In a way. It's funny to hear your experiences of her because I was so much more strong willed when it came to her that she gave up on me. So I think she appreciates the fact that she can, she can get I to you because so <laughs> she doesn't bother. I think with so me. too. She's like, you're not going to listen. Whatever. I'll go talk to Jamie. She'll do it. <laughs> you know, and that was funny because when I actually started, that you just said that, because when I actually started getting to the point where, you know, I realized what was happening and I could realize when I was making a connection with her and I could actually stop and have a conversation with her. Mm -hmm. That was one of the first things that she said about when I asked, like, why, why me? Like, why don't you just go directly to your daughter? She, she can do this. And one of the first things she said is she's so stubborn. Like she's, <laughs> yeah, she's not she, going to listen to me. <laughs> she, tr she tried. It's true. She tried um, just after she died. I felt pressured to do some sort of wake or, I, you know, I'm not a big traditionalist when it comes to, and when it comes to ceremonies, forget it. You're going to have to pay me to be there because ceremonies are excruciating and I hate them and I don't want to go through them. So if I was going to do, you know, a gathering, what was it going to look like? I was going to do it my way. Fuck tradition. And I remember maybe the day before everyone was supposed to come over to the house and, you know, eat the fruit plate or whatever and talk about her and shit. Um, I went 
And I wanted to find, I had one project that I wanted to do. I wanted to frame a bunch of photos of her when she was healthy because a lot of the people that were there, most of them were work acquaintances and had worked with her as she got ill with the cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I wanted to do a lot of her, like when she was, before she was a makeup artist, she was theater people. You know, she was in summer stock. She traveled, she uh, toured. And there, I had a whole bunch of pictures of her where she looked hot and amazing and, and vibrant. And they had never really seen her like that because they didn't know her back then. So I went to the frame store to get black frames. I just wanted a bunch of black frames so that they could all go together and look cohesive. And I was having a hard time finding them. And she was in my head saying, you know, you really don't have to, you really don't have to do that. No one's going to know. If you don't get them, they're not going to know. And I'm like, I know, I literally out loud was like, I know, just let me have this. And then the guy comes up as I'm doing that. <laughs> the guy comes up to help me and he's, he like takes a step back and he looks at me. He's like, you okay? And I was like, yes, I'm just having an argument with my mother. And he was like, what are you arguing about? And I'm like, frames. <laughs> And he's like, well, I can probably help you with that. I'm like, yes, please. I'm like, see, mom. And we walked off. I got my frames all as well. I want what I want. That's just all there is to it. Now, are those the frames that is, those are the pictures that became what's what's in the hallway, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The mom shrine. Awesome. And I do love those pictures and they are great of her. They are. They really are. So, yeah. So, we you know, started talking about our goth stuff and our Halloween stuff and our Disney stuff. And we realized we had a lot in common. Um, And then as time went on, we, how did we get into it? How did we meet Bob and get into, I remember we wanted to start ghost hunting. Mm Mm-hmm probably started watching ghost hunters and then we're like we could do this <laughs> which we could well so so how the queen mary actually started was brian and i decided to go right this was right right after we got married right before we got married before he was actually right before we got married mm-hmm. and we decided to go to the Queen Mary. We decided to do the ghost tour. And while we were on the ghost tour, I started picking up things. Mm-hmm. And I think I went home and immediately called you and was like, oh, my God, <laughs> we have to go and do this together. Because mm-hmm. this was wicked fun. Mm-hmm. And I want to see what happens when both of us are there. And because at this point, we had kind of started to figure out a little bit of a rhythm with connecting with your mom mm-hmm. together we had we had, we'd had several years of practice at that point doing that and yeah it was definitely before we got married it was 2007 and as i started doing you know my my big thing is always history and research and mm-hmm. And that's also something that you're interested in, too. You've always been interested in the, in the history behind places. We like, we like the story behind the historical buildings and and the history of the town or the people or whatnot. And we wanted to bring 
that portion forward and, and really investigate that and kind of, you know, see if we can take almost a step back into that to, to kind of, you know, flesh out why they still may be hanging around. Yeah. And as I think Brian and I went on the tour and then I think you came with us on a tour and we all three went and then we definitely had Hold all had the experiences phone here, in love with though. it. Hold the phone here. Glossing over the hot stuff, which is when you went to the ship for the very first time, you had with you a little digital camera and a recorder. And yes, you got <laughs> the most. You got a a grade A class A EVP and photographic evidence on her, her yes. first trip. And um, I guess we're going to have to post that somewhere at some point. But um, yeah, we couldn't believe it. it we couldn't it, brain it. Mm-mm, no, left us we with way more questions than answers. And I was chomping at the bit to go because I'd been as a kid and I knew I felt things. I knew someone was with me the whole time. Um, I didn't know who it was. Now I know that I had tapped into Jackie and probably Stark. Um, Mm-hmm. which are two of the resident spirits on the ship. Um, but I hadn't been in long, long time because, you know, reasons. And uh, going with a group that was also, you know, ghosty, yes, that is the epitome of enjoyable. And I couldn't believe that, like, it literally for 2.5 seconds made me doubt you were telling the truth. I was like, no, no. No, I don't believe it. I Mm-mm. didn't think, I didn't think any, I didn't think anything of it. All I knew is that I felt like I was being guided around that ship mm-hmm. by some unseeable force, mm-hmm. and I was doing things that I, like, I don't even know. In the beginning, what made me take a recorder and a camera? I mean, a camera I can get because. I'll tell like you what made you take it. It was the only equipment you had at that point, And we had been watching Ghost yeah. Hunters. And we were like, well, you know, I have this equipment. I might as well take it with me. And you did. I, 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 I did. I did. But I think, and although I, much like you, have been to the Queen Mary as a kid and and had definitely seen and and heard and and felt things while I was there but I don't think I don't think I really felt like like I was going to catch anything or I was sure. going to come up with any real evidence and it was hilarious because when Brian and I came home and we're actually like looking through stuff I I almost deleted the photo that's that's the absolute money of all mm-hmm. money shots mm-hmm. because I I didn't see it at first. Brian was the one that was like, well, wait a second. This doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And blew the picture up. And I was like, what? <laughs> wait a second. <laughs> What's happening in there? There is a man and a little girl in that picture and mm-hmm. I can tell you quite for certain that there was not a man and a little girl there. 
when I was there. Right. One of the and most later- interesting things was was that basically in order to get the shots that I got. Exactly. They were getting ready to close down the exhibit. And I was frantic because we had just gotten off the tour and I didn't know that that portion was closing down early. And that was part of what we had paid for. And I was like, well, I at least want to go and take pictures. And Brian said, well, you, you go ahead and you go run and do that. And I'll go do this other thing. And I can't remember what thing he went and did, but halfway down the way to the exhibit hall, which you used to have to take the long walk on the outside of the ship in order to get over there. Um, halfway there, I was met with with one of the employees, one of the tour guides, and she was locking the gates. There's a series of gates down that that plank, and she was getting ready to come to the other end to to lock the other end that I had just walked through. And I'm like, oh, no, is everything closing? And she's like, well, we're kind of starting to close up. It takes a while. So you probably have like 30, 35 minutes. And I and I asked her, I'm like, well, can I actually go down into the exhibit area and at least like take some pictures and stuff? And she's like, yeah, yeah, you you I'll I'll come back around and check and make sure that you're, you know, that you're not in there and lock up behind you. But um, yeah. You know, and so she she gave me a little bit of time and there was they had been clearing people out the whole the whole time. So by the time she got to me, there was no one else in there. And I ran my little chubby butt down the stairs and through the things and through the things and through the things. And you can hear me on the recording. I'm like, (laughs) and you can hear clank, 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 clank down the stairs. (laughs) And I get to the, and, and it's like, I didn't even like take a whole lot of time. I I knew that the lighting was weird in there. So I set everything Mm -hmm. to, to like either a black and white or, or a Sienna type just so that I could get, basic outlines of and and it was all supposed to be like vintagey early stuff so i thought that that would be a cool way to do it anyhow and so i wasn't taking a lot of time to make sure like lighting was right or anything like that i had set it to a setting where that wasn't going to matter so i literally just stood there and went click 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 and then went down the row and and continued to do that and i remember feeling at the time, like there was somebody else there, like I could feel stuff and it was making me a little nervous because I'm like, okay, well, there isn't supposed to be anybody else in here. And I think half of me was nervous that I was going to get shoot out before I was finished. I thought it was, I kept thinking it was the girl coming back behind me, getting ready to close everything. And I'm like, oh shit, I I really need to hurry. So I was doing everything like so quick. And (laughs) And then when we got home and we're going through everything and I, I was really just, dis- I think part of me was like, well, you know, what did you expect? And then the other part of me was a little bit disappointed that we didn't get anything. And then Brian was like, but wait, uh, you didn't just get something like you really got something. This is craziness. And then when we finally showed you, I, I think that flipped your lid. And then immediately I wanted validation from other people who who I trusted. And at that point, I had been on Facebook for a little while. 
trying to do Queen Mary research, trying to figure out like who these people could be. And it was, it wasn't real super clear at first, like where to get that information. And then they kept seeing like the same few names pop up. And there was another paranormal group named Planet Paranormal who had wrote this really beautiful thing on like the history of the Queen Mary and how upset they were on like a lot of the things that were happening. And he wanted people to get together um, to really like do a big group investigation and, um, and really try to fight basically what was going on historic like with the historical stuff within the queen mary and and like regarding the deterioration of the of the ship and the maintenance and all of that he wanted to big get together and i responded to that and he responded back to me and invited us mm, that's and that's that and that's how that happened and and i remember he and i had like quite a long back and forth conversation through through facebook um like right before but he he was so passionate about everything and then at that point we had started perusing their website and he had just put up his his big evidence his big conversation um, his big conversation with Mm -hmm. with jackie and that was one of the big things is that and and that we had learned about bob later is he's a huge softy and and really really had a soft spot in his heart for the younger kid spirits on the ship and especially jackie and so the minute i mentioned having contacted jackie and then showed him the picture he was like oh my god that's amazing that's amazing we have to we have to talk about it and so I think that was that was a big pull for him to to invite us because he knew that we had made that connection. And when we went on it together, I remember you felt her immediately too. I think she I think she dug us. I think she mm-hmm. liked that we that we were that we were fun adults. You know? <laughs> that we that that we noticed things and that we didn't immediately think that everything was scary. And um, I, I think they just got a sense that, that we were there to help and that we wanted to talk to them and, you know, with the, with like Jackie that we wanted to play with her and, you know, bring her dolls and, just a little context. This investigation was the first night investigation, the first group investigation that they had allowed on the ship for a very long time. And the group that ended up getting together, I believe there were about 19 of us. That's not ideal for a ghost. No. You know, we didn't expect much of anything. We were just happy to be able to have free reign over the ship at a time where it was mostly cleared of um, guests, say for the few staggering drunks you're probably going to find. <laughs> um, and so we were, we were excited just to be on the ship, just to be with the mm-hmm. ship, just to be in that environment and to have the privilege of being the first people allowed to do that in forever. And um, 
even though we had a places where people normally don't go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, especially at a time when you wouldn't be able to, to access it to begin with. Like if you could go there, you couldn't go there at one in the morning. Um, and (laughs) we had some experiences we had, but they're the kind of experiences that make you go, but did I though? Like, did that, I mean, was that a thing? Did that really happen until the very end of the investigation where one of the investigators was sitting there recording and he had headphones on and he heard Jackie scream like a little girl fun wee scream, you know, and um, and he kind of started to freak out a little bit like excited and was like, guys, 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 she's here. She's here. This was in the pool area. And um, and we were like, who's here? What's happening? What's going on? And we all gathered around and he rewound his digi recorder and played it and it was loud as day loud as day it was we didn't hear it we didn't hear it with our ears none of us had Mm -mm. even known it had happened we would have gone home and thought nothing of it until we played back our own audio and yeah you can absolutely 100 hear her clear as day and that made evidence review exciting yeah because we realized that even that I like that is how most <laughs> how most inv- investigations go. Absolutely. You don't hear anything half the time. You don't see anything until you get home and start going over the evidence. Yeah. Now, the the more in tune you become to to your you know just your your general energetic awareness, you start picking up on those things of course, as you go on, especially if the place is familiar or if you've just done a lot of work on tuning yourself to pick up on those things. Which um, you at know, that but, point, we didn't realize that that was a yeah. thing. Like we, you know, we were, it was just so new that we, I, at least I was under the impression that, you know, certain people are extra talented, certain people are extra sensitive, certain people have gifts that most of us will never experience. We weren't born that way. This is, they were special. They were meant to do this. They can tap into the other side. That's why people like me have to be a ghost hunter because the only way I'm going to experience ghosts is if I use the equipment and see it in a 3D way and hear it in a 3D way, which I have to tell you is unequivocally not true, not the way it works. You too can be a yeah. psychic, <laughs> but it's all about Absolutely. calibration. And it's, it is. And I think, and I think for some people it, it does come more naturally. Mm-hmm. They are, they have more of a, um, the, the type of demeanor or predisposition to, to be more aware of when something like that is happening and are already a little, a little more calibrated to, to pick up on it. But that does not mean that if you haven't gotten there already, that you can't get there. Right. You absolutely can get there. And I think that's, that's something I always get frustrated for people that are like really desperately trying to connect with um with past loved ones and just you know are convinced that that there's no way that they can do that other 
other than uh, reaching out to, um, you know, a medium or a psychic or, or, or somebody, you know, outside of themselves to do that work. Like it always makes me sad when I'm sitting and I'm watching a show like a, like a medium show or a psychic show. And I hear them say, tell them, tell them I said, and it's like, you just did. You just did. Right. They're, they're there. <laughs> you brought them. Mm-hmm. If, if you weren't there, <laughs> these people can connect with them. Like they, they right. came with you. You, you just have to pick up. And, and a lot of it is, you know, if, if you tried to explain to someone and it is tough to explain, if you ex- tried to sit and explain to someone what it feels like or what the experience is like, a, it's going to be a little bit different for everyone. Everybody picks up on things a little bit differently, but B, it is, I think people have a very skewed idea, and I don't know if this is just through pop culture and film and, and the way that it's presented there, that it's like this really huge, like, you can't miss it, sort of a, like, there's a hologram of grandma, you know, in in front of us that we can see that, that they can't. And that is not the case. It's most of the time it is to most people, it would be incredibly, incredibly subtle and could be explained within their mind as just a memory or, or just, but once you've had the experience over a prolonged amount of time and you are really aware of it, you start understanding what you're seeing and when i say seeing <laughs> that's the other odd things like we say seen i'm seeing something and it is like it's it's not like all of a sudden a a movie screen drops down out of the sky and is placed in front of me and i'm watching a movie of somebody's loved ones that's that's not what the scene is like the scene is like having a memory brought up and having that imprint of the scene of what was taking place at that time brought to the very forefront of of your mind to to the point where even though visually you are not seeing anything in your mind or in your better yet not in your mind but in your awareness in your awareness is the full the full scope and picture of what was happening in that moment instantaneously the full scope and picture all at once all at once and all the information so so what would have what would have been visual what the feeling, the tone, the energy of that moment would have been, what would have been said or experienced, all kind of comes through in one swoop right to the forefront. And that's all that you can focus on because it's, it's the feeling is big. And I think it happens more often than people realize. And they're just, dismissing it because they're not 
they're not allowing it to actually come that closely into their focus or into their field of awareness at the moment. It's hanging out in the background and they're dismissing it. So this just came through. The reason people are dismissing it is not only because they're just, they're not calibrated to understand that's what they're receiving, but because everything comes through in this package and what you said was the feeling is big. They, the, the ego equates that bigness to too much and immediately Mm -hmm. deflects and says, no, 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 that, that feels like trauma. We're not, no, that, that I almost felt like crying. And that's before you even consciously are aware that you feel like crying. That's how quick the ego is to, to protect you against ouchie. But the thing, the road to doing this kind of thing is learning to be okay with the ouch. If you can start to learn to be okay with the ouch, you will then be able to slow down your reactivity to emotion. And as you slow down your reactivity to emotion, you will be able to allow big emotions to come in. And you will start to be able to discern a big emotion that is yours versus a big emotion that is someone else's. And that's, you'll associate it with that package that is dropped in. It will become a recognizable feeling. And it may start with physiological things in the body. Like for me, when I first started calibrating during ghost hunting, my fingers would start to rub together. And Mm -hmm. I would feel if someone was with me, I would scrunch up one shoulder to my ear and be like, oh, like, what is that? Get off me. Because it felt like they were right all up in my shit, Mm -hmm. (laughs) all up in my ear and my shoulder and just kind of hanging out like a like a like like a creeper talking really soft into your ear. And I was like, yeah, are you joking off of me? What is that? You know? Um, And I realized that that was dead people. That's how you're picking up dead people. They are clinging to Mm -hmm. your energy field in your shoulder, usually my right shoulder. And they're, they're talking to you. You're just not quite calibrated enough to hear it, but you'll, you'll hear me if we ever post, uh, you'll hear me on recordings go, did you hear that? Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Did you? And and then there'll be an EVP afterwards. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was. I decided early on I wanted bat ears, like our mentor, um, and mm-hmm. I, I wanted bat ears, and I got bat ears. Oh boy, did I get bat ears! And I could hear the softest EVPs. The only way I knew to look for them was to follow my. Did you hear that? Because inevitably there yeah. was something to follow. And I thought it was interesting. Um, so this ties into uh, like a couple days ago, I found myself, um, it popped up on YouTube, a Tyler Henry mm-hmm. video, um, the one where uh, Dr. Drew decided that it would be fun to hook him up to some equipment and measure what that was happening in his brain. That popped up for me too. What the hell? Isn't that okay. weird? Yeah. Well, because we were going to have this conversation. Um, I didn't. I didn't you know, watch so, it. So please fill me in. Yeah. So so he decided that he was going to arrange the reading, mm-hmm. and he wanted a skeptic. 
someone who was hardcore skeptic on, mm. on anything like this. And so he chose Devo. Oh God. From Jackass. Yeah. Right. And, and so, you know, brings Tyler in and he has no idea who he's going to read as normal and hooks him up to, to this brain scan machine. And the, the other doctor that was there was kind of explaining how it works and, and that it's uh, measuring the brain's activity. And so they first they did, you know, just the, uh, the kind of the calibration test, the let's see what your normal levels are just when you're just sitting here, not doing anything. And so they recorded that and then they got him, uh, you know, prepared for the reading and Steve-O came in and he immediately jumped right in, um, you know, didn't the, it was, it was very uh, clear that, that somebody had been waiting to come through so like he took no time just jumping right in and of course steve you can see steve-o his face and he's you know all of his crazy little face expressions and watching tyler doodle going what the fuck is this shit (laughs) that's happening in front of me and then he started reading he 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 read his mom which of course was a huge soft spot for him and picked up on quite a few things that like it just it would not have been common knowledge and got into the emotionality of their relationship in a way where steve could not deny that that was coming from his mom um but it was very interesting when they went back you see clips back and forth during the reading of Tyler actually doing the reading and then drew and the other doctor in the other room watching what's happening on the screen. And at one point the doctor that was actually administering the, the scan had to go back out and readjust the machine that was underneath the table that, that um, where he's doing the reading that he's hooked up to because he had calibrated it for the amount of activity that had been happening while he was, you know, not doing anything, but it was off starting to read off the charts as he was reading. Mm-hmm. So he had to go back and recalibrate the machine so that he could actually get the data that he was wanting to get. And one of the things that they told him was that, you know, every time you say that you're seeing something, the area of your brain that processes visual stimulation is actually completely shut down Hmm. like completely shut down um and then they were telling them and then at other times it appears as though like you are completely asleep but watching you you're super animated and your arms are flying all over the place. And you're very animated while you're giving these messages. But if we were to see this information without looking at what was happening, we would have said, Oh, that, that case study is a, is asleep right now because it completely looked like everything shut down. And that was just, that's, 
the portion of you that gets removed from what is happening to allow these things to come through. And, and even Tyler said, he's like, that's really interesting because a lot of times I describe it as having a daydream Mm -hmm. and, and seeing things in a daydream. And that was a really cool way to say that too. I, I, I think that does, that gives a nice mental picture to people of, of what might be happening. And I think once you get to a point where you're comfortable with it, that is kind of what it feels like. It's like all of a sudden you step away for a minute and something else comes in and you're experiencing it, but you're experiencing it like you're watching it. (laughs) It's like, Oh, that's cool. Kind of like you are when you're in a daydream. And then you kind of step back in to describe what you saw. Um, But, but it was very interesting. And then as soon as I watched that, one came up with uh, Teresa Caputo, basically mm. the the same thing. Oh, the other thing that was interesting with Tyler Henry is they actually showed brain states. Um, and his delta and theta were at times like off the charts. Now the theta is mm-hmm. is very interesting because that's of course that dreamy, that dream time activity that you would expect of somebody that's either asleep and dreaming having a daydream or is a really phenomenal meditator Mm -hmm. and is in that really deep state um the other one was the delta which um i don't know if i have a good description for the delta um uh, but the delta is a different kind of active it's not alpha active. It's not beta task oriented mm-hmm. active. It's a different kind of active. And mm, it was interesting because of what the doctor that was recording said that the way his was lighting up, it was lighting up as if you had had like significant trauma mm-hmm. to the brain, which he had had trauma to the brain. He had, he had had a, a tumor that he had removed um, this we're talking about Tyler. Um, but it was funny because Drew was all ready to like pounce on the, Oh, so did, did your gifts really develop after the, the tumor was discovered? And like, he was so looking for something neurological to, to pin this happening on. And Tyler was like, no, I had it before, <laughs> you know, but, but I wondered if it had affected it in any way. And it's like, no, you can tell that you had some sort of injury, but, but when the scan was lighting up, it was, it was really interesting. You can find it online. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it on, um, I think the Hollywood medium was on the E network. So if you have, um, the E network available to you, you can, you can actually see the full episode on that. And that's interesting. Um, but yeah, then after that, the uh, episode where they had hooked up Ter- Teresa Caputo, different doctor, different situation, um, but similar setup and looked like they were running a similar type of program on her and basically did the same thing and said the same exact thing about every time she said, I'm seeing something. They're like, you're saying you're seeing something, but 
those receptors are completely shut down. And, and it's like, well, yeah, because you're, you're not seen in a way that it's like, there's just, if I think about it, I'm like, I keep nodding my head, like, yes, invalidation, because there's no other way to really describe that other than that you're seeing it. <laughs> it's just a, I mean, seeing is just the most natural. Um, yeah. I'm experiencing this is really more apropos, I think, because when you get that, that packaged, that package dumped on you, you're experiencing a whole lot. You're experiencing different sense memories. It can be smell. It can just be a knowing. It can be all those things together. But seeing mm -hmm. is something that we, we relate to first. So we say seeing, but it's really an experience. It really is an experience. But I think the reason why we say seeing also is because I don't think other people I think I think people in general have a hard time relating with the word experience and what that means. Mm -hmm. And seeing I almost feel like I almost feel like that is also something that spirit pushes while it's happening because when somebody says I saw something that's very concrete. Mm -hmm. That's like to another individual. When you say, I saw that happen in your mind, you think, well, if they saw that happen, then that happened. Um, if you say I experienced something, I think a little bit of doubt could creep in. So I almost think that that's more of a spirit prompted response than even something that we, think about um consciously i think mm -hmm. unconsciously we're saying seen because they're like no say you saw it because if you say you saw it <laughs> they're 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 gonna understand that they understand mm -hmm. the the concreteness of of that term the right. the the kind of the the heaviness or the in the um gravity how, the gravity of of that term yeah yeah but you know so so that's it's interesting to to think about those things and i always enjoy seeing those shows where they decide to do that because it it's it is so it becomes a part of your it just becomes a part of your life when when it's something that that you've tapped into that you're aware of and that you allow to happen it just becomes another part of your everyday and you you just kind of become accustomed to the the knowing that at any moment this may or may not happen well and, and you get to us go ahead i was just going to say ultimately you move different yeah. The world, your world changes because you have changed and the way in which you've changed makes you look for different input and you are more, at least I am more connected to, you know, every moment of my day is a conversation with myself, my guides, God, whatever mm -hmm. you want to call it. It's all the Source, same whatever thing. you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah. It's all the same, but every, every minute of every day for me is spirit first 
this reality second because I have learned through this journey that this reality we're living in is nothing but a reflection to show us, you know, what we're experiencing. It's it's a feedback loop. So mm-hmm. when I when I got to the point on my journey where I started to realize that I can, you know, because when I was ghost hunting, I was addicted. I needed to go on the hunt because I felt that that was the only way I could experience that connection. But in reality, the hunt was just teaching me how to experience that connection. Mm -hmm. And as I exchanged ghost hunting, I moved on and evolved into some sort of spiritual, um, well, my ass got dumped and I was in pieces, like a thousand trillion pieces, and I didn't know who I was anymore. I lost my identity. I lost my motivation for life. I didn't, I, you know, and <clears throat> I say lost, but in reality, I what happened was a realization that I, I never had one to begin with. It was all based on mm-hmm. the external world. And any identity that you base on the external world will always be victimized by the external world because you lack the knowledge that it starts with you. Yeah. So you play into this feedback loop thinking that the feedback loop is in control instead of understanding that actually you are creating the feedback loop. And this is what creates victims. This is what gets us victimized by our environment. When in reality, your environment is trying to tell you, hey, you're creating me. And because you think that you are less than me or you are um what's the word uh that i'm in control you are experiencing me as your judge when in reality you're the one creating it so once you get to that part in your spiritual journey where you're like wait what the fuck like what (laughs) i'm sorry I'm creating this? How am I creating this? I I don't think I would create something where I would be in constant pain and agony. Oh, I did? Oh. And then you start (laughs) to figure out how that happened. Yeah. You move differently in the environment and you can no longer, you know, things that were important before, they're not important anymore. You can't even relate to them anymore. And your world turns upside down. And now that person who broke your heart, you realized was just another wounded human who you were trauma bonding with. And, and there was some probably some sort of contract between you for the broken heart so that you could wake up. Yeah. You know, we need to be catalyzed to wake up because this illusion is so professional. This illusion is so good. And we have been indoctrinated into the system of believing the illusion 100%. Well, we, we built it and we were really good. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah. And, we, and we told ourselves some, some really uh, crazy stuff mm-hmm. to, to unplug ourselves from, from the situation that we were in previous so that we could experience it. And, you know, I think it's always kind of a a crapshoot on, you know, how, how deeply intertwined in the story are, are you going to be for the long haul? And are you going to be able to, to give yourself enough room? Are you going to be able to pick up on all the little breadcrumbs 
they're happening the whole time. You just aren't always aware. But man, the minute you start seeing it and then you start playing back other parts of your life, you're like, oh, shit. (laughs) Wow. Now I know why that happened. Now Mm -hmm. I see how those things fell into place. Wow. And then it's almost like even if you're traumatized and angry about it, there comes a point where you step back and you're like, fuck, that's impressive. <laughs> like that's, that's some like, that's world-class right there. What just happened, man. <laughs> I, damn, I did a thing. I did a thing. Like an expert. I, I like, I really did it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like next level. Yeah. But that's what we're talking about. When we start to talk about being sovereign, we are, it's not just a word. It's not just a a throwaway concept that, you know, it's not a brass ring. It is something that you can attain, but there's a road to walk and there's a lot of recalibrating to do. And there's a lot of evolution that needs to happen over a course or period of time, undisclosed, different for everybody mostly over years. Um, it's not impossible. And you do not get to skip over it. You do not get well, to skip over it. That's the thing is that like you can stick your head in the sand and deny the journey as it comes knocking on your door, but the catalysts for that journey will just get more painful <laughs> and more catastrophic. You will be dragged back. <laughs> yeah. If, if they have to yell to wake you up, they will yell and it will suck. Um, but also, that's okay, too, because you came here for this, which, mm-hmm. God, I hate that. I hate saying that. It's just so irritating. You came here for this. It's like it. our, our 3D brains process that, process that as finger wagging. Well, this is your fault. You came here for this. But it's not like that. You came here to experience the ups and downs and the contrast so that you could learn more about contrast and polarity. And I know that sounds like bullshit, but it's true. And so whatever it takes for you to wake up, it is what it is. It's not a punishment. In fact, there is no such thing as punishment. Punishment is a perception. And if you can get to the point where you are more able to see that something is neither good nor bad, neither right nor wrong. It just is. And decide how you feel about that and make that your truth. That's one of the ways to becoming sovereign. And it's, it really is. It's, it's a mountain climb. And, and every time you make it through, um, you, you know, kind of working your way through a trauma and you're able to do the the forgiving and and the perception grows it's like every time you are working on that you're reaching that kind of next plateau on the mountain and your perspective your view shifts and changes and includes beyond what you had been able to see and experience previous to that so as you start kind of removing yourself from from so close to the situation and you're backing up the further you back up 
from from the intensity of what happened, the lesser that intensity is and the the greater the ability is to to understand that oh there was more at play here than i originally thought you know like not just for yourself but also for any other parties involved you know you start seeing the situation as oh i see so if that hadn't happened and i hadn't experienced that then these things wouldn't have happened and this person acted that way because this thing happened to them and they had to experience that so that the next time they were faced with that they would have this knowledge and and you kind of keep stepping back and stepping back and stepping back and stepping back until you're able to come to a place of wow that was really nobody's fault it's just both of us needed that both of us needed to work through that or all of us needed to work through that or i needed to work through that or they needed to work through that and i was there to help them or you know you get to a point where all of a sudden instead of judgment and anger there is compassion and love because there is an understanding that kind of swoops over and settles in that says, okay, like I can be accepting of all of that. It doesn't mean that there aren't things in the world that you would rather not have happen or that don't come across as, you know, horrible and awful and, and, you know, indescribably painful but understanding the way that those things kind of come to be and that you don't have to be okay with the thing that happened because it's not about the thing. It's about looking at that whole, that whole picture and going, okay, even though these horrible things happened or this thing that felt so painful to me happened i can see where where it moved me to where it pushed me to where you know how it helped me you know how how it helped me to to move beyond where i am now and and view the world differently or view myself differently or view my life differently. That's just, that's a part of the shadow work. That's a part of defragmenting yourself. Every time we have a trauma, big T or little T, we're, we're humans as trying to work through this, this interesting game that we have agreed to be a part of. We don't, give ourselves the opportunity to work through anything in the moment mm -hmm. because time is valuable and we don't have time for that. And, and it prolongs the pain and it's just something that we don't want to go through in the moment. So we push those parts of ourselves away and kind of a, as a, we'll, we'll get to that later when we have time, when we have a minute to, to sit down and breathe only, the way that we operate, we never have a moment to sit down and breathe. And it's not until you decide to 
go on a journey like this and give yourself the time, allow yourself the time to move through that, you know, you, you start realizing, I think, as you go along, the more of these little pieces of you that have been pushed away, the less and less you feel anything, the less and less you feel you. And so, you know, you get to a point where you're like, wow, I'm a, I'm just a machine here. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be a machine. And for a lot of people, you have to get to that point before you're really, really ready to go. Okay. I, I, I want to take a moment and, and get to know myself and to figure out what's happening and weed through all of these things. And as you do, those pieces come back, but with a whole different set of, um, you know, with a whole different set of awareness and with a completely different catalog of perspectives that puts you in a much different place in life in general and allows you to then help others go through the same thing because you know we're we're all just little pieces of the same puzzle mm-hmm. and we're all trying to put the puzzle back together and and that's that's just part of it you know so this was definitely you know the our you know our at the start of our journey was was connecting with the stories of other spirits and looking at their lives and seeing how starting to kind of figure out you know what they what they must have experienced what they must have gone through and and why would they choose to still you know hang around in this space and even the complexity of of that and starting to understand okay well there's there's some that it's 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 not that they're stuck here they're not here in their entirety it's just a piece of themselves that was left over because that piece of themselves really loved that space and really enjoyed their time there. When it comes to ghosts, I argue that every ghost is a piece of Mm -hmm. the whole. No, no, no spirit that you're going to run into, no matter how um, interactive they may be. No spirit is a trapped soul. It's completely earthbound. Yeah. Well, it's a fragment of what soul was in that space. And because everything is fractal, everything is holographic, meaning that all of the information is in every piece of of the whole, no matter how small you break it down into. So when you're interacting with these spirits, like when we interact with Jackie on the ship, we're not interacting with a little girl who's earthbound and can't find her mommy. We're interacting with a piece of the the soul that was in that lifetime called Jackie, the soul has moved on to other lives. And that piece of Jackie is left behind because for whatever reason, there is a very strong imprint there. And so things get a lot less sad and, oh my gosh, a child trapped on the ship in that horrible place. And eh, kind of, not really. It's actually just a piece waiting to be reclaimed. 
And that's where you get into soul retrieval. Yeah. there We all have pieces hanging out in other timelines and in p- parts of history that are waiting. I had one, I wrote a blog about it on my website, um, that where I, I was doing, <laughs> I was regressing myself essentially. And I had a lifetime where I realized that I was watching this Native American tribe in the forest and the elder made me realize, he said, go home, little ghost. This isn't where you belong. And I was like, little ghost, like the me that was experiencing the regression part was like, little ghost, what the hell? What are you talking about? And I looked down at myself and in in the vision that I was having, I could tell that I wasn't just a little four-year-old girl in a white nightgown. I was a four-year-old girl in a white nightgown with her hair sweaty and stuck to her face. And like, I looked horrifying. If I had met me in that forest, I would have screamed and (laughs) ran from the hills. And I realized that I was watching them because I wanted to be with them, but I was dead. Yeah. And that as a spirit, I was haunting that place in their forest. And I also realized that me having that experience of that part of me was retrieving that part of me. So mm-hmm. I've probably been haunting those woods for hundreds of years. <laughs> There's yeah. no telling how many people came in contact with that part of me until, and maybe, maybe I still haven't retrieved her. I don't know, but I feel like I retrieved her during that regression. And, yeah. you know, she's with me now. Like, I'm like, oh no, honey, no, you don't have to hang out in the woods anymore. <laughs> Come on. You belong with me. You're part of me. So, I, you know, I'm sorry you got shed yeah, and left back. behind. It's okay. We're good. You know, soul retrieval. I'll take you on so, a lot of nice hikes. Don't worry exactly, about it. Exactly, right? It's not, not really, probably not though. That's not going to happen, no. Um, but so when we're interacting with ghosts on the ship, we're not interacting with stuck people. We're interacting with slivers of the people that were there mm-hmm. that were shed while they were there. And that's why hauntings are tra- are um, <clears throat> related to trauma so often, because if yeah. anything is going to make you jettison a piece of yourself or make you stick around in a place to try and solve a problem, it's trauma. Well, here's, here's a perfect example. I mean, when I'm, when I'm working with, with, energetic and frequency tools like when i'm working with um tuning forks and i'm doing a session on on someone and i'm using the 174 hertz fork to kind of read the field outside their body as you get closer in towards the body you're registering things that have happened more recently so definitely in this lifetime um kind of uh, you know in a, a about mm, 18 inches out from the body is, is would really be considered kind of like your, your time of arrival, your, your birth. And a lot of people will register trauma in their birth. And this is a really good example of how trauma works. It doesn't have to be a bad thing overall, but the process of being birthed and giving birth is traumatic. And depending on what happened, you know, if your, if your mom had complications or if there was, you know, a, 
any sort of, you know, the, the doubt of, am I going to be a good parent? Am I going to be a good mom? You know, can I support this child? All those things get wrapped up. It's again, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's an energy bomb results. It's an energy bomb and that creates a trauma. So, so, you know, sometimes we don't think that certain things registered in us as traumatic, but they do. Some of the tiniest things can be big markers that we created for ourselves. And, you know, I, uh, one of my mentors, I loved one of her stories from, from one of the journeys that she had been in and she was used to seeing some very profound things in, in journey space. And this time the guides had taken her to a point in time where she had, it was like in grade school and she had had a tiff with like another girl in her class, like some popular girl that snubbed her and it made her feel bad and it made her feel less than and something that she had not recalled until that moment during that journey space and was like seriously like i do all this prep work i go through all of this stuff and this is the moment in my life that you are bringing me to like i haven't thought of this since it happened i was like 12 <laughs> you know and the more she sat with it, the more she realized, wow, after that time, I started behaving this way, I carried myself this way, I had these types of insecurities, I had all of these little things that started to fall into place after that one thing that didn't seem like a big thing, even at the time. Like it was a little like it kind of upset her, but like she went to school the next day and, you know, and had a normal day. Did not realize that it, it had registered within her energetic self in such a huge way until this um, journey that she had been on. And, you know, it it really makes you think, wow, what are all the <laughs> the little things that I've experienced you know, that just seemed like things that happened in passing that would barely be a note, would barely, barely be a blip on your radar. If somebody asked you at the end of the day how your day went and what happened, like you wouldn't even include it because it just didn't seem like that big of a deal. But it didn't feel like that big of a deal because at that moment you went whoosh, cleave, push to the side. Well, and I don't even know, I don't even know if it happened in that moment, because I'm thinking back to my own, you know, seemed insignificant at the time trauma, which was around between sixth and seventh grade, seventh grade, especially. Um, and I, I think I've talked about it before, but I'm not sure. But long story short, math got really, 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 really hard for me. Like all of a sudden I was not resonating with the teacher. Everyone else seemed to get it. I had no idea what was going on. I felt lost. I felt abandoned. And as a result of that, I made a decision 
to manage the situation through invisibility. If they can't see yeah. me, they can't punish me. If they can't see me, they can't be ashamed of me. If they can't see me, they can't pull me up to the board. If they can't see me, they won't know I'm a failure. And that decision to deal with the bombardment of what was traumatic for me as a child led it was like that you know that graphic of here's a straight line and then you just make the tiniest adjustment go 20 years in the future and that tiny adjustment has taken you someplace completely beside yourself completely outside yeah. of yourself completely to a different realm it has forced you to accept a life that you would have never lived had you not made that one tiny decision to be invisible just in this way, which then evolved into being invisible in any way that made you uncomfortable, you would become invisible. And it's not like it was a completely, uh, you know, conscious choice at the moment for you. At the moment, no. you just you wanted to be invisible for for that brief amount of absolute time to escape that feeling. But you didn't mean, I want to always be invisible, but that's right. not how the energy gets read. The, the, you create the, the frequency that, that you are living in, which helps to create the rest of your reality. And yeah. so very small decisions or things that seem like very small or minute, or I only meant to do this for a, you know, that, that is where, you know, when we kind of harp on being conscious, being awake, being aware, being sitting in awareness becomes really, really important. Yeah. Because just most of the time, we're just not aware of it. We're just yeah. not, we just don't realize what we've put out there and what that creates in return. Mm -hmm. And then we get mad about it. Well, because why, why when, can't people see me and when like, we create well, totally, by the way, totally, yeah. I, because here's the deal. The coping mechanisms we create become curses. Mm -hmm. That's the evolutionary path of a coping mechanism. And it doesn't mean that you're never going to create a coping mechanism again. But the more aware you get of what you're doing, the more likely you are to spot that. Oh, wait, I'm trying to cope. Okay, how do I get back into myself? How do I get back into conscious decisions? How do I stop giving my power away? Because the second you create a coping mechanism, it will evolve, if unchecked, into a curse. And my curse was invisibility. I would always choose friends that were tall and skinny and pretty. They would always get all the attention. And my whiny victim side was like, I don't understand why nobody likes me. I don't understand why everyone else gets the attention. I don't mean Girl, it's because in seventh grade, you decided that invisibility was the coping mechanism. That was, you told your ego, you programmed your ego that when you're uncomfortable in this way, when something could gut punch you to take the path of invisibility. And yeah. your ego went off unchecked and said, uh-oh, uh-oh, I feel the gut punch coming. Invisible. Can't see me. Can't see me, boy. I'm invisible, boy. And I spent so many years banging my head against the wall, trying to figure out why no one could see me. Yeah. And then the guides presented it to me not too long ago. And they were like, oh, by the way, remember in seventh grade when you decided that that's how you'd cope with math? Yeah. So that's been guiding it's your like, entire by the way. life. 
what? And you're like, well, shit. <laughs> I was a seventh grader. Who allowed this? You know? So, yeah. Who lets a seventh grader call the shots? <laughs> right. We do. I was a very Ta-da. sovereign seventh grader. I was a very so- sovereign seventh grader who turned into a very not sovereign adult. Yeah, yeah, that's, and it that's was a, it was a really subtle decision. Perfect. Mm-hmm. It's it's a perfect example of how that works. It's mm-hmm. and it it does. So this is this is why you can't just you know being someone in. In the energetic healing community, you often have people come in that are like, okay, let's do a session. I want to get this done and over with. I want to fix, I want to fix it. Give me the easy button. Okay. It's like you, you have to experience, you have to fully experience the thing in, in all of its ness from every angle, from every side, from every layer in order to heal that you're healing it a little bit at a time. And every time you've healed one layer, you dive right back in to heal the next layer. And that frustrates the fuck out of people. And I get mm-hmm. it because mm-hmm. it used to frustrate the fuck out of me. And sometimes it still does, Oh yeah, but, but not, not like it used to. And I'm, I, I actually get more excited now to do the work because I understand what comes next. You level up. Every time you do the work. Yeah. And there is, there is an excitement to, to reestablishing that personal power once you do. It's very much a Scott Pilgrim self-respect yeah. moment. Yeah. <laughs> I see that over and over that my guys use it for me a lot because they know I, I love that, that visual. And so every time I do something like that, where like I got it. And I'm and I've made it to the next. They they flash, you know. I get that little flash in my mind's eye, and I'm like, <laughs> "Cool, <laughs> cool, I did it! <laughs> Yay! Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's keep going with this." But man, people are so resistant, and it's hard sometimes. It's hard to to sit there and go, oh, "Well, okay, you know, do, you you got you got to do it however you want to do it," you know. There are people that I come across all the time that are like, oh, I'm going to go take care of that this weekend. Are you now? Okay. Well, have fun with that. <laughs> and so it begins. <laughs> and and then I'll see you again in a couple of months from now. Yeah. And we're going to have this conversation again. Yep. Because uh, you will have not fixed that thing that you thought you were going to go off in a weekend and fix. Um, what you probably did was end up compounding it <laughs> and making yep. it larger so that next time it's not going to be as easy to scoot it under the rug. Right. It it keeps getting bigger and bigger until you decide to actually, you know, say what it is in front of you. It's like, oh, that's not there. That's not a thing. That's not a thing that happened. I can I can push that in my closet. I can sweep that under my rug. I can put that in a drawer. Well, beyond beyond just hiding it from yourself, beyond distracting yourself from it, because those are also coping mechanisms. I think what really happens is we, and how could we have a clear idea of the difference between our conscious mind and our subconscious and our unconscious mind. And we, we look at a situation and we think, well, all right. So I can see I was really hurt by this one event. Boohoo. That's sad, but 
it's over now. So we're good, right? Now I've looked at it and we're good because the conscious mm-hmm. mind can completely process it logically. The problem is, is that you haven't, you haven't processed it in your heart space yet. And as cliche as that sounds, you, you literally have to con- reconnect with the fragment of you in that moment, that age, it usually a child, um, usually after childhood, we're just repeating traumas. <laughs> we mm-hmm. just set our patterns that we've told our ego that these are the, tra- these are the patterns I want to stick to. So keep bringing me this kind of trauma because we deal with it well. And if you so want to get go to back- me, here's how you do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you go back to the child that cre- first created it. It's not until you get back to the root of the problem that you stand a chance of actually healing from it. You go back to that root and usually it's 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 a give and take between you and your guides, your higher self, whatever you want to call it. They're giving you things that are bringing you back to that root. What? So my guides <laughs> just gave me a, a really funny pop culture reference for, okay. for that situation. Uh, if, if y'all have seen 51st States with Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore, when, when Drew tells him, uh, mention lilies the next time, because I don't want you to strike out. That's exactly what we're doing. Mm-hmm. We're saying mention the lilies so that, that you can come a little closer so that we yeah. won't immediately shut you out. Right. We're giving ourselves these these little clues, these little markers, these little red flags, these little breadcrumbs, whatever you want to see them as. You know, these are the hints that we get. And that's why it triggers so hard and sometimes so painful and so badly is because that is the exact thing that you said to use. You said this. This right here will get me. I guarantee it. Mm-hmm. If you don't want me to go further than this, pull this out of the drawer because I won't be able to look away. I won't mm-hmm. be able to sidestep it. I won't be able to not react to it. I won't and be able to do anything other than say, why is this happening again? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> why is this happening to me? Why does this always happen to me? Mm-hmm. And, um, and and it is it is your doing and it's not a punishment it's your way of helping yourself to reconnect because we know that that is a huge part that's a major part of the journey that we're on is to reconnect with all of those things and learn something different from it learn how to flip the outcome learn how to see it in a different way and to use that energy in a different way for something different create a different frequency create a different baseline from which to work with that energy flip it around and and you really do have to go through it in in order to do that you you have to experience the hurt and the pain and the anger and the regret and the shame and all the things that that pop up from from having been through that because those are all just tiny tiny slivers of the whole of what happened and until you see the entire pie it's 
all of those things that you are working towards are not going to fall into place. You have to see that whole thing in order to hold the compassion, in order to forgive, in order to have love towards, in order to understand, to be fully understanding of how these things come about, to be 1000% relatable. And then once you do, that's kind of what triggers that, oh, now I can help the next me that's out there floating around, flailing in, in their anger and their sadness and their depression and their, you know, now I can help to kind of guide because we're all just little pieces of ourselves too. Right. We're all little <clears throat> reflections for our, for ourselves. So when you see something that's very triggering to you, or when you meet someone that's very triggering to you, you know, sometimes, and it's hard to do, but if you can stop and say, what in me, what is it in me that, that connects with that somehow? Because if you didn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't elicit that reaction. It's like, what is it in me that, that, that I need to sit down with and have a conversation with to figure out why that is so triggering? Where, where, where do we relate? Where do we get on the same page? This thing and I, this person and I, this situation and I, where do we meet up? Because there's something somewhere. And it may be buried, 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 and so far, feel so far away from you at this moment that you can possibly conceive that, that this is something that you could relate to, but it's in there somewhere. And until you sit down with it and have the conversation, you don't get to make that final handshake that says, okay, we're good now and get up and walk mm -hmm. away from the table. Doesn't mean that you have to carry it with you. You don't always have to, once you've healed the trauma, but understand that there's a lot of layers to the trauma. So, mm -hmm. you know, and then it, then it just, it continues to shift. The, the journey continues to shift in whichever direction it is that you need in that moment. And you will, you will see how they are all connected. Like it's, it's still, boggles my mind sometimes when things come back around that I haven't experienced for a while and I'll get to see this new sliver of it because I'm in a completely different place now and I'm like wow man that's crazy and it doesn't affect me nearly as you know like that would have before except that my understanding and and my perspective of how it all fits together shifts and allows more to come through and that's always amazing and really interesting to me something came through while you were talking about that <clears throat> that you know you always hear spiritual teachers say what we're here to do is deal with our emotions and it seems to be the thing that nobody wants to do and what came through was you have to understand that the emotions that you store in your body, we always say you're storing those emotions in your body until you deal with them. They're not going anywhere. They're creating illness and dis-ease. It's kind of a standard 
spirituality mm-hmm. thing. And they said, you have to understand that the emotions you're storing in your body are being stored for the purpose of mm-hmm. your ego to be able to access that pathway you programmed during that initial trauma. Those emotions aren't just stored because you're not dealing with them. You're not dealing with them because you actually have a story in you that your ego, you know your ego is made to protect you. And your ego accesses those stored emotions that later create disease and illness in order to use that same pathway to navigate the repeating trauma. So when you, quote, do the work of feeling your emotions, it's like you feel through the emotion and your perception of it changes. And as your perception of it changes, the weight of that emotion lessens. And so every time you repeat that cycle and you choose to feel the emotion as opposed to store the emotion or or deny it or ignore the emotion, your ego has less power to take that same pathway. And that's Mm -hmm. how you begin to shift in little ways towards actual healing. Yeah. You're carrying less and less and less of the actual weight of it every time. Right. You've released it. You've let that go. Um. And the other thing that that brings up for me is going back to my time when I was um, working in a metaphysical shop and had a lot of people coming in and, and, you know, it's practically like we were all of us that worked there were like part-time counselors Mm -hmm. because people usually don't turn to this work in, you know, when they're in a like really good place. They tend to find it when they're in a really horrible place um, and going through a lot. And so the amount of times that that I encounter people who were 1,000% certain that, um, that someone had cursed them, somebody external of them was doing something to them and they wanted to know how to get back at that person. And it's like, well, it's not really how that works. <laughs> Nobody has access to you unless you give them access to you. <laughs> so the first thing that you kind of have to do is to stop giving away your power. Right. Because, because really it's, it's just you and you're projecting that blame onto something external of you because you cannot possibly conceive that you have done that to yourself right and man people are so resistant to that idea Mm -hmm. it's like no 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 give me the charm the candle that i'm supposed to burn the the thing that i'm supposed to do to put the whammy back on that individual and it's like you know i i it's like i i had to work in a very careful little circle to give them the tools as best as I could to help fix what was happening internally to help not fix but help guide what was happening internally so that they could get to that next step of realizing on your own because until you realize it on your own that that's not really how that works you're really not going to break through the big T in that situation. 
So it was always very interesting to kind of hopscotch through that and give them a few a few tools at a time to work with to get them to the space where they would realize that oh I put myself here mm, well shit mm. <laughs> then I guess I can unput myself here yeah and it's like yes yes you one thousand percent can and re- by realizing that you can unput yourself there that's the only way to fix it yeah there is no external cure. There is no external behavior. There is no external Mm-mm. function that will ever solve the problems because they came from and you all in the, the first tools. place. Yeah. And all of the tools that are there and available um, to you are meant to help you get to that space. So it's not that they are completely unhelpful. It's not that that it's not doing anything for you. They do do something for you, but what they are doing, you know, you have to be a little more understanding and and in the awareness of what those tools are actually for and what those tools are actually for are helping you discover what's happening within yourself. And sometimes that comes through a candle or a ritual or a meditation or using a particular set of stones or going to see, um, you know, uh, some some sort of energetic healer or counselor or life coach or spirit coach or whatever, or going on some sort of journey. All of those things are tools that are meant to help you reconnect with yourself in a way that brings you into a moment of awareness for whatever is going on that helps you reconnect with that and helps you to see more clearly the path that you actually need to be on. It's not that those mm-hmm. tools are not helpful. They are, but they're just not helpful in the way that most people perceive them in the beginning before they've actually realized where the, the issues are sitting. Right. The point of the tools isn't to do it for you. The point of the Mm-mm. tools is to help you do it for yourself. They're permission slips. Their permission slips to connect with the pain. Their permission slips to work through it. Their permission slips to see things differently. Their permission slips to shift. So, yes, of course they're helpful because they, the whole point of this feedback loop that we're living in is to be helpful. We've just, over thousands of years, slowly distorted it into something that is, you know, we've we've transitioned to a different story, and the story is that our environment rules us, not that we rule our environment. And now the well, reason that we're all of from this, everything, yeah. And now the reason all of this ascension crap is coming up for everybody, and you're seeing spiritual teachers pop up left and right, hey, is because the energy, the the greater energy, the biggest picture energy is cycling back to mm-hmm. support dismantling the distortions we've you know created over thousands of years yeah man that's a big conversation i know who knew ghosts would lead to such deep shit i you know i i had an inkling i think i underestimated rather uh (laughs) how deep we were going to take this but i'm looking at the time right now and y'all have been on here with us for quite a bit Mm mm-hmm so, I don't know. I need a nap. Do you want to wrap it? Hell yeah. Right? <laughs> Do we want to wrap this up? Yes, ma'am. Well, then that's it. 
we're going to wrap this up. <laughs> we're going to say thank you for for sticking with us. Um, just to let y'all know how how this is working, you're you're probably going to hear this. This will probably be the fifth episode that you hear from us. So hopefully, it will explain a little bit about who we are and how we came to be here and all that fun stuff. And one thing that we'd like to throw out to y'all is, um, you know, if you have questions for us, if you have particular topics that you would like us to approach, we are more than willing to answer your questions and take the deep dives for you um, or with you rather. So if you want to do that, you can reach out to us at using our inside voice all one word at gmail.com email your questions email your your topics for deep dives tell us what you want to go into the rabbit hole for and uh we will be more than happy to work that out for you in the future yeah but in, until then i am jamie and i'm heather and we are using our inside voice to say, stay safe, stay sovereign, and we will see you next time with whatever the hell our guides decides to bring us or you decide to write us with. It's up to you. Bye-bye.